chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. When you think about a race, the most exciting part of the race is the, the finish. Who agrees that the finish is important? Okay, three of you, because everybody else is turning in their Bibles. Okay, let's actually make it a real thing. Who thinks the finish is important? It's important. When I used to run cross country back in the day, um, the finish, they had something that happened at the finish. And I was slow most of the run, but at the end, there's this thing called the kick. Who knows what I'm talking about when it talks about the kick? And at the kick, you see the finish line, and when you see the finish line, it motivates you to run, doesn't it? It's like, it's the end. Who likes the end? When you're running three, four, five, 26 marathon miles, you like the end. And if you want to see something interesting, uh, Google, go on YouTube and look up, um, you can type in almost anything on YouTube, crazy, whatever, and it'll show you some cool videos. So crazy marathon finishes, and you'll see people that, one of the most incredible, inspiring things is people that are about to fall right at the end, and then someone comes, and instead of just running by them, they stop, and they help pick them up, and they run. Have you guys ever seen something like that, where they help take somebody across the finish line? What an incredible thing that is. We've been in Hebrews chapter 12, and one of the themes of Hebrews chapter 12 is this idea that life is like a race. Let's look at our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. If you haven't been with us, this will be your first time hearing this. If you've been with us, then you've heard it multiple times, but I want you to get the point of the book of Hebrews and the point of this passage. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. If you're running, take off the hiking boots, take off the snow gear. How many of you guys wore snow gear this week? I look like a Michelin man out on the reservoir uh, hill. Anybody ever go out there and sled? Yeah, I, I sled even sometimes without a sled. Um, <laughs> that happened this week, right? But you, t- you don't, you don't want to run a marathon in snow gear. Who agrees? When you run, you lay aside every weight, and you lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, run with endurance, Run and don't quit. Run and don't quit. Let's run with patience the race that is set before us. Life is like a race. It has a start, a middle, and an end. And we're told in verse 1 to run with patience the race set before us. And we're given an example, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is our example. He's also our coach. In, in verse number nine, we read this. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we, much, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live for they, talking about our human fathers, for a few days, just a short time, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, how does God chasten us? For our profit. He doesn't do it for his own pleasure. He does it for our ple- for, for, to help us that we might be partakers of his, of his holiness. God wants us in this race to become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more uh, righteous in our living, holy in our living. That's what God wants for us. He's like a coach that corrects us when we mess up and like a father who collects, corrects loved children. We've been encouraged not to give up in the race, but to keep going and making a plan for the race. If you go down to verse 12, he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. If you go do that YouTube search I told you about, crazy marathon finishes, you'll see people who are not running like this at the end of the race. They're running like. Why? Because 26 miles is long. Who agrees? Not in my car. It's great in my car. I got air conditioning, heat sometimes. I've got, I've got cup holders, but when I'm running, my hands hang down, and it's hard to lift up these feeble knees. They've been under a lot of stress for some time. And so 
And he says in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. He's not just talking about our feet and our knees. He's talking about those around us. He's talking about when we're running and you see that people that's about to fall. Man, you come alongside them and you help them. And you, keep, you tell them, keep going. And, and if they need to pause and rest, you want them to pause and rest because it's better to do that than to get lame and get out of the race. In last week's message, we read the scripture we've been, where we were warned of some things that will take us out of the race. We, we learned about a lack of discipline that will take us out of the race. We learned about a lack of peace with others. Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. He says, a, la- a lack of peace with others can take us a lot out of the race. A lack of holiness towards God can take us out of the race. I'm not talking about it can take away our eternal life, but can take us away from growing in holiness towards God. To get us out of the community of believers that would do that. To get us away from people that could, man, if I've fallen and I'm running, I need somebody beside me that's going to help me. And then this last one, he talks about bitterness. And there are people that are out of the race because they got bitter. They didn't forgive. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's a dumb idea. And that's exactly what happens. Today, we get to two phrases that seem to give an indication about the finish of the race. And there's two things I want you to know this morning. Interesting ratio. I've been doing some statistical research, some some work in this area, and I want you to know that I found an interesting study that says this. One out of one people die. When Jesus comes back, some of us won't die. We'll we'll be with the Lord. But just so you know, if you don't go with the upper taker, you're going to probably go with the undertaker. Because one, what just happened? One out of one people die. And here's what's interesting. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. At the end of our lives, you and I will wind up up in one of two locations, with God or separated from God. With God in heaven or separated from God in hell. God is all that is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So to be separated from God is to be separated from everything that is good. That's hell. Death and hell are cast one day into the lake of fire. This is a bad thing. The author here is talking to believers and to unbelievers. And remember, he's describing the race set before us. And today, in this text, he's telling people that the way to run this race is not by works, but by faith and grace. Okay? What, how do I know that? We will not get to heaven by the law. You won't get to heaven by the law. You won't get to heaven by keeping the law. You're going to get to heaven if you do because of Jesus. By faith in him and grace through him. That's what I want you to know today. We're going to get to heaven and get through life the way God wants us to go. Only by grace and only through faith in Jesus. And so today's text and today's message will be helpful for you religious people in here. There are systems of theology that teach that you have to get to heaven by Jesus, yes, but also plus tradition. By Jesus plus doing. By, pe- by Jesus plus keeping the law. By Jesus plus what they want to teach you in your church. There are people that have a, a theology This, I think, is a bigger group of people. There are people that have a theology that says good people go to a good place and bad people go to a bad place, and most people are basically good. If you ask most Americans, are you going to heaven? Most people will say that they hope so, at least, or that they think they are. If you ask them why, they'll say some sort of 
answer like I'm a good person. I've, I'm, I'm better than many. I do a lot of good things. I love my family. I haven't done that bad of things. And today's text helps us to understand that the race set before us is not a race where you finish in the right place by being good. How good is good enough? Only perfection. The problem is we were all born with a sin nature, so out of the gate, we have a problem. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. And so I got like, I, I was in my notes this morning crying already. I'm so like wound up, ready to tell you this. I hope I live up to what I just said. Okay, but this is like an incredible passage of scripture. You know how blessed we are to have this? How blessed we are to be able to walk through this together? And what God's done for us, we are just so incredibly blessed. Today's text helps us to understand that the race that's set before us is not about being good. We'll see that if we're trying to get to heaven or be right with God or even live our lives in our own effort by being good, we'll not end up in the destination that God has laid out before us. We see the author by do this by talking about two mountains. Somebody say two mountains. You got it. In verse number 18, you see this? He says, for ye are not come unto the mount... Who sees that? You see that in verse 18? Now go down to verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Sion. It says Sion here. Another way of thinking it is Zion. When the author says ye, he's speaking to the original reader. The context would tell us that these were Jews who have been given evidence of what God has done both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, have gone and have been given a defense of faith in what God has done, both saved and unsaved. God has, through the Holy Spirit, through the preacher who wrote Hebrews, who we don't exactly know who it is, um, some think it's Paul. I read something this week that made me think maybe it is Paul, um, but we don't know for sure. I, what I know is that God wrote this. And, and what he's doing is he's giving them this illustration of two mountains. And he says, you're not coming onto the first mountain, you're coming to the second mountain. If you're going to get to me, you're not going to get to me through the first mountain, you're going to get to me at the second mountain. Okay? Do you get the point? So, I, I, I entitled the message, A Tale of Two Mountains. Okay? And, and so, there's an approach. He says, he sets up this metaphor. It's a spiritual illustration of a truth from history by comparing two mountains. The first one is Mount Sinai. And the second is found in verse 22 is Mount Sion. And the word that is like a key word that I want you to get today, and, and, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing, is this word that says come. The word for our come in both 18 and 22 are the same word. It's used in the negative in 18, you're not come. And in verse 22, you are come. And the word is proserkomai. Strong's Dictionary defines it this way, to approach, or that is to come near, to visit, or figuratively to worship or to assent to, to come unto, to come there unto, to draw near. Do you get the idea? To come. There's an approach. We're arriving at one location to get to God, and if we try to the other location, we won't get to God. If you're on the race that God desires for you and that has been set before you, the way you get to him is at one mountain and not at the other. So what is our approach? Do you want to know how to run the race that finishes well? You want to know? I want, I want you want, you want to know? Like, okay, here we go. Maybe. Someone's honest over here. Very good. Three questions can be answered by this text that will help us finish the race at the right destination. Question number one. Here's three questions. Number one, what is the mountain we're not approaching? What is the mountain we're not approaching? Look at verse 18. You're with me. Good job. Here's what it says. For ye are not come 
unto the mountain that might not be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. Does this sound like a fun place? And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words and the voice that they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. In referring here to this mount, he's talking about Mount Sinai. He told the readers that they're not come unto this mount. How do we know that this is Mount Sinai? Well, he's quoting from and referring to Exodus chapter 19. It says here, he calls it the mountain that might not be, the mountain that might be touched. In Exodus 19, God gives specific instructions about what his people are to do while he's giving the law to Moses. So if you have your Bibles, if you got a ribbon, I got ribbons in my mouth. Keep a ribbon there and go back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. And let's look at verse 10. God chose a people. He chose a person, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has, his name changes to Israel. He has 12 sons. Those people have a nation in Egypt. God takes them out of Egypt because a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph arose after Joseph had saved the whole world essentially and used, uh, God used him to do that. And then there came an Egyptian Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. He persecuted them and enslaved them. God gets Moses the deliverer and says, let my people go. Takes them to Pharaoh. Let my people go. There's 10 plagues. Then God leads them out. Pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. He takes them to the Red Sea. God opens the Red Sea up. They cross on dry ground. The Red Sea closes on all of the Egyptian soldiers. The Bible is like violent. I love it. Okay. And they all die, and they get to the other side, and they approach a mountain called Sinai. And at Sinai, God decides, I'm going to give these people my law. In verse 10, it says, 19.10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. There's a ceremony of like, they got to be ready to approach me. they got to get cleaned up. Verse 11, and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount, what Mount? Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that ye go not up. Are they allowed to go to Mount Sinai? Are they allowed to go up there? No. Into the Mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the Mount, shall be surely put to death. Wow. There shall not a hand touch it, but, thou shalt, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount upon the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not as your wives. The, the author of Hebrews also says what happened here. He described it exactly the way that verse 16 to 19 describe it. We're going to see that here, verse 16. And it came to pass that on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. Does this make God seem big and large and in charge? Yes, it is. Is this a fearful thing? Have you heard about death? The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. When you break the law, if you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. It's scary. Verse 17, well, see, verse 16, I'll just go back. A thick cloud upon the mount, halfway through verse 16, and the voice of a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp, what did they do? Show me what they did. Right. And Mount Sinai was all together on a, on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it with fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount, what? Quaked. Greatly, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him in a voice. What was happening at this time? 
when we get to verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God goes on to give them the Ten Commandments and goes on and gives them the law. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's kind of interesting that God established covenant and relationship before he gave them rules. You see that? I'm the Lord thy God that brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And even in giving the law, God does not give the law because he hates us. God gives us the law because he loves us. When God says don't, what he wants you to hear is don't hurt yourself. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. The wages of sin is death. At the same time, the author of Hebrews then is saying that these Hebrews are not left here in the Mount of Sinai. They're not left where all they have is the law. The difficulty with the law is that you can't keep the law. Don't think about pink elephants. What did you just do? You weren't thinking about them until I brought it up. Right? Uh, God gave us a conscience. There's things we knew that were wrong before God gave us the law, but, but God gave us the law and that gave us a knowledge of our sin. Here you see the law bringing terror because there's a lack of an ability to keep the law. There's an approach to God that some people take, even some Christians. They live like this. If I do enough good, then God has to accept me. Or my good can outweigh my bad. No, it cannot. They think God will accept me not on the basis of my faith. He'll accept me based on my works. Now, now you and I have a relationship with the law and that God does, does want us to keep it. I don't always keep it. Do you? I mess up. I'm flawed. I sin. I need God's grace to cover me because I mess up so badly. Megan's trying to help me with this. She helps me a lot more than I can help her. We mess up all the time. The author here is using an Old Testament narrative to refer to how it is when you merely approach God on basis of keeping in the law. Paul told us that the law was our schoolmaster to teach us that we all fall short of its standard. Our approach to God is no longer on the basis of our adherence to a set of laws. If we think that we're only right with God based on being obedient to the law and not by faith, we're arriving at the wrong mountain. We'll never get to God. This vision, vivid picture is continued. Back, go back to Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at what he says in verse 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. You know what that means? When God, when Moses brought the law down, he read the law to him, he gave him the law, and he says, I want you, this is the covenant. You need to keep the law. And they said, Will you keep the law? They said, We will. They said, we will. Did they keep the law? They broke the law. A lot. Sometimes I ask my kids to obey. Will you obey? Yeah, Daddy, I'll obey. They don't always obey. And, and look, at, it says here, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The guy who was like most used by God. The one who was delivered. I mean, is, is there any greater than Moses? In the Father Abraham, Father Moses, those are pretty high up. And they both mess up. Is Moses scared? Moses is scared. Moses was called up on the mountain and his reaction was fear. He was shaken. It's right to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The author of Hebrews is saying that we're no longer at the mountain where we only fear. We are made right with God by keeping an external list, a set of rules that we have to keep out of mere duty so that God will accept us. That's called legalism. That doesn't mean that we don't, that we just sin. Romans 5, so we continue and sin that grace may abound. May it never be. God forbid. That's not how we do it. It's not like we're under grace so I can go just mess up as much as I want. Good luck with that. There's a whole lot of pain that'll come. That's license. But on the basis of how we approach God, how we get to God, it's not by keeping the law. We're not come to Mount Sinai. That's not God's last word on how he deals with us. If it is, we're in trouble. We're not come to Mount Sinai. Say we're not come. We're not come to Mount Sinai. Okay, so question number two, what's the mountain we're approaching? I love this. You're going to love it too. I hope you will. We're coming to Mount Zion. Here we see a view, in the view the second mountain, Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is a physical mountain that's present on this earth. Mount Zion is the mountain where God lives. This is a description of another place we're coming to. Where are we coming? We're coming to heaven where God dwells. He says, we're coming unto Mount Zion, here it is, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I'm doing a survey. And like one-eighth of you are smiling right now. The rest of you are like, okay. The city of the living God is Jerusalem, and the new Jerusalem is being described here. That's where Christ is, is a city where God dwells. Uh, let me get you smiling. Ready? Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. And I saw, okay, I'll let you get there. Ready? This isn't on the screen, so you got to turn there because it won't be on the screen. Revelation 21, 1. Here it is. Ready? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Anybody ever been to a wedding lately? You see that bride coming out, man, they're gorgeous on their wedding day. And here comes this new city. It's like a bride adorned for her husband. And verse 3, and I be heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. At Mount Sinai, can you go there? You can get up to it, but don't go because if you get to touch the mountain, you're going to die. You're going to fear me. You're going to be away from me because I got a law and you got to keep the law. And you don't keep the law. You better clean up. You better do better. You got to be obedient. Oh, you can't. I'm going to have to do something for you. And now, that's not where we're at anymore because of something else. I'm going to get to it. Stay with me. You can come. In fact, I'm going to come, God says, and live with you. And I'm bringing my city to live where you are, and you're going to live with me. Way better than Finley. I like Finley. It's awesome. We're better than nine out of ten towns our size, no doubt. I love it. It doesn't hold a candle to the things that God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow, nor crying. Neither there shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
man. So he says, you're not coming to Mount Sinai. You're coming to Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Here's another one. And to an innumerable company of angels. That's pretty cool. Are the angels there? Yeah. They're worshiping God and serving him. Look at verse 23. To the general assembly. These are all the same place, by the way. Okay. He uses all these different names, right? You come to the Mount Zion, this Jerusalem. What does he say? I'm so excited I forget what I'm saying. You're come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So just imagine you're walking in and it's a city and God's there. And when you go in everywhere, you can't even count them. There's angels everywhere. And then it says, to the general assembly. Now, this word general assembly is the word panegris. And it's... it's the, later it says to the, to, the assemb- to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. We're going to talk about both of those. The general assembly here is defined, this is what it means. It's a feastal gathering. It's a feastal gathering. What does that mean? It's a party. Food. Food. Family. Fun. No calories. No corruption. No death. No suffering. No pain. There's some like, this is what Satan likes to do. Hell's so cool, man. It's going to be so fun down there. And heaven's going to be lame. It's going to be this long, eternal angel playing instruments we don't like. And it's just going to be boring. And it's like exactly 100% backwards. Heaven's going to be amazing. It's going to be so enjoyable. I, I love um I, I love when we have a meal here, like after church, like sometimes we do that Thanksgiving, we go in the back and we eat together. And man, it's fun like to be with people and just to let time kind of go and, and you're talking and you're hanging out and it's fun and there's food and there's laughter. You know what I'm talking about? You, you get together and you just enjoy and, and it's just an amazing thing. But you know, the problem with that is that like not everybody comes because some of you are lame and you think you're too good for us. And so not everybody comes. And, and like, no offense, Sue. Sue and her crew do a great job on the food. They do an amazing job. They really do. But it doesn't hold a candle to what's coming. And, and, and so the food's good. But then, like, when I see everybody there, we're all there at this gathering. But some people come in. And they come in on wheeled chairs like this. Some of, some of them that come in are turned over like this. And they're, they're full of pain. And some people that were with us this past year aren't going to be with us this next year. And some of those people at the meal this happens at church. They're sinning against each other even at the meal. Now, not a lot. But there are people that don't want to sit at that table because they offended me, and so I'm going to sit at this table. There's some people that want to sit at that table because I don't want to sit at that table because those aren't my kind of people. Heaven won't be like that. It's everybody together, redeemed, and without pain, and having so much fun. 
And heaven is so much better. And hell is so lonely. It's outer darkness. It's isolation. You won't be bootlegging water. You won't be cutting it up with your friends. It's eternal conscious torment. And if all we had was the law, if we thought we could get there by Mount Sinai, you don't realize why God gave you Mount Sinai. Why God gave us Mount Sinai is this. I've got a standard and you can't keep it. You need someone to keep the law that you could not keep. And to pay the penalty that comes with sinning, those that sin die. But you're not come to Mount Sinai. That's not God's last word. There's Mount Sion. If Mount Sinai is the mountain of death, Mount Sion is the mountain of life. Eternal life. This is so cool. So, so you have this general assembly. The, the, the angels are there. The people are, are there. He, he talks about in the church of the firstborn. That, that's the word ecclesia. It means assembly. It's what we use in this church. This is talking about the mystery that was not bef- before revealed called the assembly. Our, our assembly, our ecclesia is visible and local. Okay? We gather here. We know our membership. We even track people who are not officially members yet. We kind of know what's going on with you. We're We're trying. We're not stalking you. But, but if you don't have a church home, we want you to be a part of ours. One day, all those who have been saved in Christ, the first, Christ is the firstborn among many brethren, it says. He, he is the, he's the first race from the dead, right? Not, not the first in chronology, but the first importance. Because he lives, we can live also. That's it. And so, so that's us. We're going to be there. Those of us who, the way we get there is because of Jesus and because of what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection. One day all those who have been saved in Christ, the firstborn among many brethren, the first one raised from the dead, will be assembled with that general, general assembly, with those angels, and those from every nation, tribe, and tongue who are in Christ. And guess who else is there? It says this, later on in the verse, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, how is that different than the ecclesia? Because the ecclesia, those who know Christ and are saved, we, we have been made perfect, right? Not, we're not perfect in that we never sin, but God declares us righteous and treats us that way. And when we get to there, we'll be made perfect. But who are these people? This is a reference to those who are there because of Christ, but we're not part of this church age. Those are the saints from the Old Testament that are part of this gathering at this mountain. They're not there because they kept the law. They're not at Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Zion. How'd they get there? How'd they get there? How'd they get there? That's the third question. Question number three. We don't want to be at Mount Sinai. We want to be at Mount Zion. How do we get there? Well, he talks about God, the judge of all. There in verse, I'm out of breath. Verse 23, which are written in the, where we come, we're coming to Mount Zion, the holy city, the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the numeral come of the angels. That's who's there, the general assembly's there, the church of the firstborn, the, the judge, the spirits of just men made, made perfect, and who else is there? God, the judge of all. If he judges you by Mount Sinai, the wages of sin is death. But you're in Mount Zion. How? How are you there? God, the judge of all, is there. But God, the judge of all, is not declaring you guilty. You're declared righteous because of the sacrifice of another. The payment of another. Look at verse 24. And to Jesus. Who's there? Jesus is there, the mediator of a new covenant. The old covenant, keep the law. Okay, we will. Mess that up. 
You stand under the old covenant, it's death. What's the new covenant? Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. We're not come to Mount Sinai. We're come to Mount Zion, the feastal celebration gathered together, the church of the living God, Jesus Christ in heaven. How are we at this second mountain? The preacher lets us know that we've come to this incredible, joyous status because of Jesus, who's the mediator of a new covenant. The old covenant given to us in Mount Sinai was mediated by priests, human priests, who shed the blood of bulls and goats. This could only point to the coming effective and permanent solution for our sin and could never cover our sin itself. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Christ speaks better things, it says here, than that of Abel. God says, I'll catch you up if you haven't heard the story before. God creates the world. He puts man in the garden, man sins. He casts him out of the garden. The world is cursed because of man's sin. And, and Adam and Eve have kids. They have Cain. They have Abel. God tells Cain and Abel to worship him, to bring an offering. Cain brings, um, why am I out of breath? Cain brings plants. Um, he, brings, um, he, he brings the fruit of the ground. And, and then Abel brings a lamb. I, guess, I understand it to be a blood offering. And Cain gets mad. And God says, why are you mad? If you would just obey, you'd do well. But if you don't, if you don't restrain this, Cain sins at the door. If you go back and read it, he, he describes it almost like, like a tiger about to pounce. Sin brings death. And Cain rises up and kills his brother, Abel, in the field. And God comes to Abel. Sorry, God comes to Cain. Genesis, you have your Bibles, go there real quick. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 8, Cain, Genesis 4, 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. What do you call that? He murdered him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yeah, you are Cain, but you're also your brother's murderer. And he, God, he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. You know what that means? It means if you shed blood, justice is needed. Now listen, we all... If you haven't experienced it in your own family, we all have had a situation where we heard even on the news where somebody did something to some, someone who is innocent. And we've all had that moment where rage comes up in us to go, that's wrong. That's wrong. Somebody ought to do something. How many of you have ever had that? That is part of your image bearing. Because God is just. God is just. And when there was blood that was shed, God demanded justice. That's what the law does. You do the crime, you do the time. The law is all about justice. In our country, we're all about equal justice under the law. At least we used to be. It doesn't matter if you're the president or the trash keeper, you're, you're accountable to the law. That's why the lady, the criminal lady, the statue with the balances, 
She usually has something, a blindfold. Why? Justice is blind. We're all equal under the law. And God, who's a just God, when he sees Abel killed by Cain, he demands justice. The blood of Abel cries out for justice. You know what the problem is there with that, though? I've killed Abel. And you have too. I never murdered anybody, Pastor Ben. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. If I get justice, I am in trouble. If I get Sinai, and that's where I stop, I'm in trouble. But God is the judge of all, and he ain't at Sinai. He's in Sion. And there's a blood that's been shed that appeased justice. We all get there because of Jesus' blood that speaks something greater than the blood of Abel. That'll preach. We come because we've been sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I sure do like Mount Zion, don't you? What an incredible thing we're going to experience if we know Christ when we get to heaven with those innumerable angels and the saints of the Old Testament and the assembly of saints for the church age. Man, some of you have lost family in just the last few weeks. And if you know Christ as Savior and if they know Christ as Savior, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. We're going to get to Zion and they're going to be there. Who wants to party with mom? party with dad at a party where there's no regret afterwards you've been to the parties where there's regret afterwards don't be drunk with wine where's excess wearing is excess yeah that's all the dumb things you did at the party it's all the regret and the pain and the guilt how cool will heaven be where we get to enjoy God forever and enjoy our loved ones forever and serve. It's not like there's not going to be work there. We're going to work, but there's no toil in the work there. We're going to love it. All of us will be there, not by our works, but because of the work of Jesus Christ and keeping the law on our behalf and dying the death that we deserved, shedding his blood for us to be cleansed. We should believe in Christ alone. We should be thankful to God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit for the wonderful work of salvation. We should tell everybody we can. Everybody needs to know this. We got to invite everybody to the party. There's plenty. There's plenty. My, my grandma used to make way too much food. And I think part of the reason she did, the reason my dad does, is at the last minute at the church service, when there's that one person that's about to go home, and it's the day before Thanksgiving, the day before Christmas, and you ask them, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? And they don't really have a plan. You can give them a plan. Come to our house. We're going to throw half of it out anyway. There's plenty. We got an extra seat. I told you about that word, are come. You are not come, but you are come. Remember that? I, I just want you to see that word used throughout Hebrews. It's used here twice. You're not come, but you're come. But look how this word is used in the rest of the book. Okay, I'm just going to put each one up here. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7, 25. 
Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Who's him? Jesus. For he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Do you see the word come? Do you see the word come? Hebrews 10.1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers, there's the word, they're unto perfect. You're not getting there by Sinai. You're not getting there by the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament law. What, what blood can make us perfect? Jesus. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us, here's the word, it's like come, let us draw near. Draw near. Draw near to who? Draw near to God. Let's draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from our evil conscience. Who cleanses us? Jesus, by the blood of his son and our bodies washed in pure water. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God. You see it there? How do you get there? Not by Sinai. Not by doing the works of law. He who comes to God must believe that he is. I can't be perfect. I can't be perfect, but I sure can believe. I can't offer God my perfection. What do I have to offer him? My faith. You know what he says? I'll take it. You must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. For we are not coming to the mount that might not be touched and that burn with fire, nor under blackness and darkness and tempest. But ye are come. How do you get to God? You're coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. You know what Jesus said? I love this. Matthew 11. Come unto me. Come unto me. All ye that labor. All you that are trying to work your way to me. You're not going to get there by working. All that labor are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?